Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Atomic Retirement. I'm your host, Ryan Kilkenny, the founder of Atomic Planning, an independent, veteran-owned, fee-only financial planning firm bringing tax and retirement planning to families over age 50. Atomic Planning is a virtual financial planning practice in Kansas City, serving families from coast to coast. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the Atomic Retirement. I ended last week's podcast with a quote from Warren Buffett, the 92-year-old chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. Since that time, Buffett released a 10-page letter to shareholders of Berkshire Hathaway stock, something he does each year. Now, the letter's public, and you can find it online, and I'll be sure to drop a link to it in the show notes of this episode. By the way, that link includes access to 45 other letters that he's written to his shareholders since 1977. What I'd like to do today is to walk through his most recent letter together and point out my top takeaways. After all, this letter contains wisdom from someone with 80 years of investing experience, which Buffett points out is roughly one-third of America's lifetime. And would you look at that? We have one smack dab on page one, which shows the historical year-by-year total return performance, which includes dividends, of Berkshire Hathaway's stock and the S&P 500 going all the way back to 1965. As you might recall from last week's episode, past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and you can't invest directly in the S&P 500. But listen closely, because you're about to find out why people refer to Buffett as the Oracle of Omaha. The compounded annual return of the S&P 500 from 1965 to 2022 was 9.9% a year, but incredibly, it was 19.8% a year for Berkshire Hathaway, a full 9.9% higher per year. From 1964 to 2022, the S&P 500, with dividends included, is up 24,708%. That's pretty darn good, right? Well, Berkshire Hathaway is up 3,787,464% over the same time period, which for those of us that don't like to do mental math while we're driving, mowing, or walking the dog, that's 3,762,756% higher than the S&P 500. That right there is why people call Warren Buffett the Oracle of Omaha. And it's also why his net worth currently stands at $106 billion, which according to Forbes, makes him the fifth richest person in the world. So, am I suggesting that you go out and buy Berkshire Hathaway stock today? Absolutely not. In fact, I don't think you should buy anything based on past performance. It's a terrible reason to select an investment, and history is littered with countless examples of why I say that. Moving along. Here is what Buffett says he and Charlie Munger, his 99-year-old business partner, do as stewards of their investors' savings. And first, I thought it was interesting that he specifically used the word savings instead of investments. But he wrote that we are grateful for their enduring trust, a relationship that often spans much of their adult lifetime. It is those dedicated savers that are forefront in my mind as I write this letter. Now, 
I don't talk about this a whole lot, but kind of speaking on behalf of my colleagues and friends in the advisor community, it's a huge responsibility and very humbling to partner with a family and be a steward of their wealth. There are a few bad apples in any bushel, but most of us advisors take our responsibilities very seriously, and we form long-term bonds with the families that we serve. My hope is you have or are working towards this type of relationship with your trusted advisor too. Now as for Buffett, he says that he and Munger allocate their shareholder savings between businesses that they own outright and by buying publicly traded stocks through which they passively own pieces of businesses. He goes on to write that our goal in both forms of ownership is to make meaningful investments in businesses with both long-lasting favorable economic characteristics and trustworthy managers. Please note particularly that we own publicly traded stocks based on our expectations about their long-term business performance, not because we view them as vehicles for adroit purchases and sales. That point is crucial. Charlie and I are not stock pickers. We are business pickers. Continuing on, he writes that over the years, I have made many mistakes. Consequently, our extensive collection of businesses currently consists of a few enterprises that have truly extraordinary economics, many that enjoy very good economic characteristics, and a large group that are marginal. Along the way, other businesses in which I have invested have died. Their products unwanted by the public. Capitalism has two sides. The system creates an ever-growing pile of losers while concurrently delivering a gusher of improved goods and services. Schumter called this phenomenon creative destruction. One advantage of our publicly traded segment is that, episodically, it becomes easy to buy pieces of wonderful businesses at wonderful prices. It's crucial to understand that stocks often trade at truly foolish prices, both high and low. Efficient markets exist only in textbooks. In truth, marketable stocks and bonds are baffling. Their behavior usually understandably only in retrospect. In summary, Buffett and Munger are business pickers on the lookout for attractive companies that have competitive advantages and good leadership. They've made mistakes along the way, and some of those companies they invested in did not make it. But to be a successful long-term investor, you need to realize that stocks often trade at foolish prices, and that with patience, you may have the opportunity to buy pieces of wonderful businesses at wonderful prices. Buffett goes on to say that many of his capital allocation decisions have been no better than so-so and that he's even been rescued by very large doses of luck. He says that much of Berkshire's results are from about a dozen truly good decisions, and then he gives us what he says is the secret sauce. But before we get to that, you first need to know that according to eToro, the average holding period for a U.S. equity or stock position was just over five years in the late 1970s, and that over time, many of us have been hit with the short-termism virus because the average holding period has steadily fallen since then. In fact, last year, the average U.S. equity holding period was only 10 months. And I say that for a reason, because 
Buffett writes that in August 1994, yes, 1994, Berkshire completed its seven-year purchase of the 400 million shares of Coca-Cola we now own. The total cost was $1.3 billion, then a very meaningful sum at Berkshire. The cash dividend we received from Coke in 1994 was $75 million. By 2022, the dividend had increased to $704 million. Growth occurred every year, just as certain as birthdays. All Charlie and I were required to do was cash Coke's quarterly dividend checks. We expect that those checks are highly likely to grow. American Express is much the same story. Berkshire's purchases of Amex were essentially completed in 1995 and, coincidentally, also cost $1.3 billion. Annual dividends received from this investment have grown from $41 million to $302 million. Those checks, too, seem highly likely to increase. These dividend gains, though pleasing, are far from spectacular, but they bring with them important gains in stock prices. At year-end, our Coke investment was valued at $25 billion, while Amex was recorded at $22 billion. Each holding now accounts for roughly 5% of Berkshire's net worth, akin to its weighting long ago. Assume for a moment I had made a similarly sized investment mistake in the 1990s, one that flatlined and simply retained its $1.3 billion value in 2022. An example would be a high-grade 30-year bond. That disappointing investment would now represent an insignificant 0.3% of Berkshire's net worth and would be delivering to us an unchanged $80 million or so of annual income. The lesson for investors. The weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. Over time, it takes just a few winners to work wonders. And yes, it helps to start early and to live into your 90s as well. A couple things stand out to me here. The first is how long Buffett has owned Coke and Amex. He is known for saying that when, when we own portions of outstanding businesses with outstanding managements, our favorite holding period is forever. But the fact that he's owned shares of Coke for 34 years and Amex for 29 years embodies that and stands apart from the average U.S. equity holding period of only 10 months last year. Despite what some people believe, owners of individual stocks can absolutely be long-term investors. Furthermore, his Coke and Amex investments also illustrate the long-term income potential of dividend growers. A lot of people think of stocks as purely the growth engine of their portfolio and bonds as a source of income. But I'm here to tell you that some companies, definitely not all, have the potential for both possible growth of share price and dividend income. And as a reminder, the cash dividend of Coke increased from $75 million in 1994 to $704 million last year which is more than half of his original $1.3 billion purchase price. In other words, every two years, his Coke shares generate more dividend income than what he paid for them. And by the way, the same thing happens for Amex, but it takes about four years for that to happen. Dividends, while not guaranteed, can be incredible compounding inflation fighters over time, especially if reinvested. And using Coke as an example, 
Its dividend has grown 838% since Buffett completed his purchases in 1994. Inflation over that same period was about 2.5% a year, or 103% total, which means that Coke's dividend growth outpaced inflation by 735%. Another way that companies may return money to shareholders is through share buybacks, and Berkshire did just that, repurchasing 1.2% of the company's outstanding shares. This process reduces the number of outstanding shares, meaning that every shareholder's overall slice of the pie is a little larger. Buffett wrote that the math isn't complicated. When the share count goes down, your interest in our many businesses goes up. For example, Imagine there are only 10 shares of a stock outstanding, and you happen to own one of the shares. That means you effectively own 10% of the company. And let's say that the company decides to repurchase a share, taking the total outstanding share count down to 9. You still own your one share, but now you don't own 10% of the company. You actually own a little more than 11% of the company. In short, Buffett attributes his long-term investing success to time and the power of compounding, his avoidance of major mistakes, and most important of all, what he calls the American tailwind, saying that while it has been becalmed from time to time, its propelling force has always returned. He goes on to say that despite our citizens' penchant, almost enthusiasm for self-criticism and self-doubt, I have yet to see a time when it made much sense to make a long-term bet against America. And I doubt very much that any reader of this letter will have a different experience in the future. In closing, he said that nothing beats having a great partner, referring to Charlie Munger, and he shares a few of Munger's thoughts. Here are seven of my favorites in the order in which they appear in the letter. Number one, the world is full of foolish gamblers and they will not do as well as the patient investor. Number two, all I want to know is where I'm going to die, so I'll never go there. And a related thought, early on, write your desired obituary, and then behave accordingly. Number three, patience can be learned. Having a long attention span and the ability to concentrate on one thing for a long time is a huge advantage. Number four, don't bail away in a sinking boat if you can swim to one that is seaworthy. Number five, Warren and I do not focus on the froth of the market. We seek out good long-term investments and stubbornly hold them for a long time. Number six, there is no such thing as a 100% sure thing when investing. Thus, the use of leverage is dangerous. A string of wonderful numbers times zero will always equal zero. Don't count on getting rich twice. And last but not least, that brings us to number seven. You have to keep learning if you want to become a great investor. When the world changes, you must change. That's it for today. Until next time, here's to your atomic retirement. If you have questions or would like to take the next step and partner together, you can schedule your free appointment online. To get started, visit AtomicPlanning.com to schedule a Zoom meeting that works best for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Atomic Retirement. Be sure to check out the show notes for helpful links and resources mentioned in today's episode. Do you love the podcast and find it helpful? Well, if so, you can bet other people will find it helpful too. 
please hit the subscribe button, leave an honest review, and a short comment on Apple Podcast. You have the power to help, and your review can help people find answers to their retirement questions. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not investment, tax, or legal advice. Clients of Atomic Planning may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this communication. I try my best to bring you valuable information, but I may not know anything about you or your personal situation. So please talk with your fee-only financial planner, tax, and or legal professionals before taking any action or making any decisions about your own financial plan. Atomic Planning is a veteran-owned Kansas State Registered Investment Advisor, providing independent tax and retirement planning.